listening to the Top Music Guitar Podcast, the show for guitar teachers to learn about the craft of teaching great guitar lessons that students love. If you're looking to start or expand your studio and make guitar teaching your full-time dream job, you've come to the right place. Each week, you'll get to hear from some of the top guitar teachers from around the globe and get their best tips and experiences so you too can build your own dream studio. I'm your host, Michael, and I've founded one of the top guitar schools in Australia, written a best-selling curriculum, and I mentor guitar teachers. I'm excited to share my expertise with you and the wisdom of all the experts we interview. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Top Music Guitar Teaching Podcast, where we are interviewing musical educators, guitar teachers from all around the world who are doing wonderful things in the guitar education space. As always, I've got a very, very special guest for you today, and it's going to be a real treat. Our next guest is someone who has over 30 years as a singer-songwriter, who's played hundreds of venues around the United States and Canada. She teaches guitar, she teaches ukulele and mandolin all around the world, students all around the world via online lessons. Now, she's also someone with a really great YouTube presence. She's clocked up well over a million views on a single videos, so she's got a wealth of knowledge to share on YouTubing as well, which I know a lot of you are interested in right now. And most importantly, she's also an author with a couple of books to her name. So Jamie Anderson, welcome to the Top Music Guitar Teaching Podcast. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. It's always great to find and connect with new people and guitar teachers from all around the world. And with someone as experienced as yourself, I'm really looking forward to diving in and hearing your story. Oh, thank you. Now, the first thing to hit things straight off the bat, uh, just reading your own bio, You've got a book out called Drive All Day, and it's a collection of stories being a working musician and a teacher. And one of the chapters you've mentioned is uh, about excuses that you've heard from students for not studying. So (laughs) what are some of your best uh, excuses you've ever heard over the years for not practicing or not doing their performing between lessons? Oh, students can be so creative. I mean, I think my favorite is uh, she couldn't practice because we couldn't find her guitar. And, uh, and uh, after a few days, they found her guitar in the back of their van covered in toys and kids' coats and stuff. It probably had Cheerios stuck to it or something. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past the kid to have buried the guitar herself. But I hear, you know, I actually heard my dog ate my music and I saw the music book and indeed something had chewed it pretty good. So I don't know if I think they probably just smeared it with pastrami and handed it to the dog. Threw <laughs> <laughs> right. a sandwich for him. Uh, but yeah, yeah. My, in my book, I talk. Um, I have uh, several chapters about my students, which was kind of fun. Of course, I use pseudonyms because I didn't want to get anyone in trouble. But most of the time, I work in um, Ottawa, Canada, which is the capital of the country. And uh, for a while, I was getting students from the Chinese embassy. And they were so interesting because these were kids that had almost no knowledge of Western music. You know, you'd mention the Beatles and they'd kind of look at you blankly like, you know, who's that? And um, I got the most interesting questions from them. They were great kids. I really enjoyed teaching them. Yeah, it can be amazing to even fathom how different certain parts of the world are and things you take absolutely for granted just to be completely non-existent for some people. So. That's one of the you know the perks of being a music teacher. You just get to share in so many other people's experiences. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, I, I get to meet all different kinds of people. And 
you know, I get to find out about their jobs and their kids and their pets. I mean, I teach just online right now, and there's always a cat or a dog popping into the frame or mom walking through on her way to the kitchen or something. And um, it's really been a pleasure to get to know them. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the uh, the benefits of the online lessons. Obviously, you've been doing it for a while, and it's part of your business model. But for many people, during the, the pandemic, the last two years, we're sort of forced to go online. And a lot of people were kept entertained by seeing people's pets. Or maybe you heard about uh, <laughs> Mittens the kitten for three or four years with a student. You finally got to meet her through an online lesson after hearing about her for so long. So it's amazing how... While it was a miserable experience for, for many people the last couple of years, there's been a couple of little you know, silver linings and lights at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, I've been teaching online for a few years. And uh, for a while, I was doing a mixture of in-person and online. And then the pandemic came and I switched everyone to online. And uh, I lost a couple of students because I had a couple of students who really wanted in-person lessons. But um, for the most part, everybody stayed with me, and it's worked out really well. Um, I think teaching online has a lot of benefits that people sometimes overlook. Most definitely. So you've obviously uh, been on the, the front foot there with going online well before any of that sort of happened. What sort of drove you towards online teaching in the first place? Well, I used to live in North Carolina, and I had an in-person student there who moved to Utah. And I heard from him not long after he moved, and he says, I really miss, miss your lessons. Can we work out something? And this was a few years ago, and really the only online platform available back then was Skype. I think FaceTime might have been around if you had Apple products, but I don't, I don't have Apple. And um, so I told him, I said, you know, I've never taught online. How about we do a few lessons, and I won't charge you for them. And you can, you know, give me some feedback and tell me if it's going okay, if, if the platform is all right, if the lighting is good and all that stuff. And, and he said, yeah, and that's where I tested it all. And it worked great. So um, I, I kept teaching online. And then when my YouTube channel sort of geared up and I started getting more and more views, I started getting people from YouTube who wanted to take lessons. And usually they weren't in the same town I was in. So I really had to teach them online. Yeah, and obviously YouTube's a big part of what you do now, and hopefully we'll get into how you transition to that. But maybe let's just wind back a couple of steps and give the listeners a brief overview of your story and your career so far and how you've transitioned from an in-person music teacher and performer to now a online teacher and YouTuber with close to 100,000 subscribers. Well, uh, I was a touring singer-songwriter through uh, most of the 90s and part of the early 2000s. And whenever I got booked at a big event, you know, at a, a festival, I asked them about teaching a workshop because for me, you know, more FaceTime I can get at a festival, the better. And I found that I really enjoyed teaching and I enjoyed, you know, meeting my fan, fans face to face. And so that sort of led to me thinking, okay, well, maybe I'm a teacher. So I had a really disastrous tour where, you know, everything happened. I had an, uh, an infected tooth the whole time. I had two gigs cancel. Um, there was an ice storm. There was an earthquake. I mean, just everything that could happen in a tour happened to me. And I called up a friend of mine and I said, I can't do this full time anymore. And she said, well, you should teach. And I said, well, I have done a little teaching at festivals, but can you make a living doing that? And she's like, well, duh, I'm a teacher. And she's like, and I'm like, oh, okay. So she was very supportive. It really helped to hear from another teacher. And um, so then I started teaching when I was home from tour. So I was still touring, but, you know, if I was home for a couple of months, I would, you know, call my students and they would check in with me. And it worked out rather well. 
And then slowly over the years, I've transitioned into uh, teaching full time. And because as I get older, you know, the appeal of uh, driving for eight hours and getting up on stage and trying to remember all the words to my songs was just not there. <laughs> and uh, I found that I really, really enjoyed teaching. Um, I found gigs at um, uh, local places. I taught at art centers and schools and I taught private lessons in my home as well as at a, a music school. I just kind of, you know, did a patchwork of putting it all together. YouTube was kind of an accident. Um, you know, I had a YouTube channel with my uh, performance stuff on it and it never really occurred to me to upload lessons, even though I was teaching after a certain period of time. And um, so I realized that that might be another income stream for me. And there's a lot of educational platforms out there that, you know, you send them uh, videos of your lessons and they give you a percentage of whatever income they make and they're all set up. And I thought, well, that seems like an easier deal. So I put together uh, a lesson video and I sent it to one of the biggest educational platforms and they wrote me back with some feedback and they didn't like my video, um, which was funny because they especially didn't like the technical quality. And I'd been up to their site and I'd seen the technical quality of some of the other people and mine was better, actually. And I'm also, you know, if I may brag, I'm a pretty good teacher and some of those people couldn't teach their way out of a paper bag. And I thought, well, I could do that. But I didn't know where to go next. And so what I did was, you know, I had this YouTube channel. And I, well, I'll just up, upload it to YouTube and, you know, whatever. And a couple months later, not paying attention to it, a couple months later, I tuned in and it's got several thousand views. And I thought, well, geez, maybe I got something here. So that's the, the video that you mentioned earlier. I've actually had over 2 million views on that one video and it's called uh, Five Strums You Can Use With Almost Any Song. Obviously, it's geared towards beginners, but that's one of the things that beginners are really confused about. And I, you know, teach them, you know, quick and to the point, some strums and a few songs that they can use them on. And apparently people really appreciate it. But also it helped that the YouTube algorithm God smiled on me. And I don't know what I did, but if people searched on YouTube, for, you know, what strum to use or what strum do I use for a fill in the blank song or whatever. Oftentimes that video would come up pretty high in the ranking. And um, it, I think it also helps that I'm a woman because, you know, there's all these guys that teach guitar and, and being a woman kind of made me stand out. So whether or not they were looking for a woman, I don't know. But I had that going for me. And I thought, well, this is working out well. I need to make some more videos. And so I made a couple more videos. And, uh, those seem to be sort of piggybacking off the one I already had. I thought, okay, well, I'm onto something here, but now I need to make money from this. I mean, because those videos were bringing me students, which was good. I mean, that's what I wanted, but I wanted to make some money from it too. So I figured out how to monetize my channel. And um, for a while, that one, that one video of the strums was making me about a hundred dollars a month, which, uh, I was really grateful for. Uh, the other ones don't earn quite as much. And, um, you know, YouTube can be problematic in other ways, uh, which we can get into later if you want. But um, for the most part, it's been a lot of fun doing that. And so now I've got a mixture of things that I do. I, you know, I teach online. 
I'm still using Skype and I also teach. Once in a while, I do a Zoom class, but mostly um, it's it's that and uh, Skype and, and YouTube. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. And man, to get a million views, and I know you sort of said it crept up, but what was your reaction and or feeling or thought when you finally crossed that one million views mark? Uh, I, wanted, I, I called on my friends. <laughs> And it's funny because a lot of them are, they're, they're my age and they're like, a couple of them are like, well, what's YouTube? <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I, I mean, they were, they helped me celebrate, which was great. But, you know, I think that it gave me validation as a teacher is what it did because I did my research. I looked at the other people who teach on YouTube and I found the ones that were really good. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do it like they do it. I found the ones who were really bad. And I said, I'm not going to do that. And in the process too, I also discovered who my audience was. I would consider myself an average guitar player. You know, I can get myself into trouble with scales and playing lead and stuff, but really I'm a singer songwriter who's learned a few riffs and stuff like that. So I thought, well, okay. So what it did was, it's like, okay, maybe I do know what I'm doing. You know, maybe uh, people are learning. And I, I get the most wonderful comments from people from all over the world. You know, I, I'd always wondered how to play this song. And now I know, thanks to you. Um, I have people who went out and bought mandolins because they saw my mandolin lessons and thought, hey, I want to try that. You know, people say, I, I've been struggling with an F chord most of my life. And now I can play one thanks to your video about playing an F chord. I mean... That kind of stuff is really, um, really validating. And I was kind of surprised because, you know, how it is when you go online, social media platforms, we can be really mean to each other when we get behind our keyboards. And I've had a few nasty comments, but mostly people are just really, really kind. Yeah, I think that's such a great outlook to have. And there's so much value you just touched on there, whether you realize it or not. But from what you said uh, about going out and doing some research and having a look at what some of the other great teachers were doing and what made them good or separated them from the rest of the crowd and then going and doing that. That's a really important concept for our listeners is if you want to be successful at something, do the research and find out who is successfully doing what you want to do already and then don't just straight up rip them off, of course, but do some research, see what they're doing, make notes, maybe even reach out to them for help and then imitate what they're doing or take the structure and put your own little spin on it. And I think that sounds like uh, you, you've done something like that and it's taken off really well for you. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, what I learned from the good teachers is that, you know, get, get straight to the point. You know, viewers don't want a whole long story about your guitar or the history of the song. They don't want to know any of that stuff. They want to know all the basics. And, and for my viewers who are mostly beginners and intermediate players, they want to know what the chords are and how to play them. They want to know what the strum pattern or the picking pattern is. And then they want to play it with you. That's it. There are some songs I also teach, you know, like this, the, the, the signature riff or something that, that makes the song cool or very identifiable. But, um, I, you know, none of my videos are much more than five or six minutes long. Short, sharp, and to the point. And I like what you said about, yeah, just get to the point and nothing worse than getting the backstories. Although sometimes the story is an important element of it. And I guess that just ties into what you said about getting to know your audience. If you have a certain crowd who loves a, a yarn, then you're probably in luck or you might have a, a certain demographic that just wants to get straight into it. So how did you go about discovering who your audience was over time? Well, YouTube has great analytics. So, you know, after I posted a lesson video, I could go into the analytics section and find out 
who is watching my videos. I mean, they tell me uh, age, gender, country. Uh, they'll tell me if they watch the whole video or just part of it, if they watch part of it, which part of it they watched. And uh, that information is invaluable. And that's not something that you get when you teach in person. I mean, you can get feedback from your students when you teach, of course, and it's a good idea to do that. But, you know, if they're starting to sort of, you know, phase out halfway through, you're teaching them a Hendrix solo or whatever you're doing. Uh, <laughs> they don't always tell you. You don't always catch that, you know. But um, with analytics, you know, you know for sure. Yeah. And the numbers never lie. They always give those valuable insights. And that's something that's going to continue on from this point onwards. It's going to get better and better and more personalized. I did just want to touch back on one of the previous things you did say about acknowledging that you weren't necessarily the best player. And I, I think some of the best uh, comeback stories or rise up stories are kind of like what you said, where you, you applied to someone else's platform. They, they sort of gave you the no and said you weren't good enough. And you thought, well, stuff for you guys, I'll do my own thing. And it's worked out to be successful, which is obviously a fantastic <laughs> out, outcome for you. But you then said, hey, maybe I'm not the best guitar player. And you definitely acknowledge that you're out of your element with some Jimi Hendrix stuff or the lead guitar playing. But you zoned in on what you were good at and what you did uh, live and breathe and, and what was relevant for you. And you've gone and become a successful teacher for those kind of things. So I think a lot of our listeners can do really well to not keep putting things off because you're not good at good enough or you don't feel like you're, you're at the level you need to be. But then focus on, hey, what can I do at my level what am I confident in and then focus on that? And there's absolutely nothing wrong with teaching beginners the stuff you know or uh, finding a niche in singer-songwriter stuff if that's the kind of music you like. And then just teach that kind of stuff. And then the people who do want to go and learn how to shred are going to go find a teacher that can help them learn how to shred. They're not necessarily putting any pressure on you whatsoever to become a better player and go teach other people that stuff. Yeah, and no matter what it is that they want to learn, I can usually get them started if it's something I don't specialize in. So even if someone comes to me and, you know, they want to learn a Hendrix solo, you know, if they don't know, you know, pentatonic scales, well, that's what I'm going to start with. I can show them that stuff. I can show them some simple blue shuffles and stuff that Hendrix pulled from, you know. And then when I feel like I've taught them everything I can, I have teachers I can recommend and I tell them, hey, go to this guy. You know, he's, he's a rock dude. You, he knows how to play that stuff. Yeah. And that's another point to consider is you don't have to try and teach everyone and definitely don't put yourself under the pressure of being one lesson ahead of somebody. You don't have to, you don't want to be learning the Jimi Hendrix <laughs> solo the day before or the hour before to try and teach it to them because it's just, that's a lot of stress. <laughs> it is a lot of stress, but I'll tell you what I, I did do is that you know, I've been a professional musician all my life, but I taught myself to play and I play by ear. I, I, I couldn't read music. I could barely read tab. And when I started teaching music, tab was pretty easy to pick up. So I, I got on that right away. But after a year or two, I realized that I was doing some of my students a disservice by not knowing how to read. And so I thought, well, I'll teach myself to read. I taught myself how to play all this other stuff. And so I got a Hal Leonard book and I started right where my students start. And I learned three notes on the first string. And um, after about a month, I started advertising that I could teach people to read music. Now, they didn't know I was just a couple lessons ahead of them. And you're right. It was, it was rather uh, anxiety producing. <laughs> but I'm really grateful that I did that because now I've taught lots of people to read music. I've sent a few kids off to university. And, you know, you can't major in music in the university if you can't read music. So 
Um, admittedly, I'm not the best reader uh, on the planet, but I do okay, and I can teach people how to do that. Yeah, and I think there's a, there's a lot of merit in that. You've always got to be on a path of continuous development, whether that is professionally or within your business skills or within your own playing, whatever happens to be. You should always be striving to get a little bit better. But part of that is, yes, sometimes you do need to stretch beyond your comfort zone, but the best way to learn something and to check that you know it is to make sure you can teach it to someone else. So even if you are only a few steps ahead of someone in sight reading, the way that's going to help you out is to go and see if you can teach someone else that skill or to be able to apply a concept or whatever it happens to be. And yes, while it can be a little bit nerve wracking or you might even get that imposter syndrome of, hey, I'm probably not the best person for this job. It's not necessarily about being the best, but making the most of the situation and realizing that wherever you are in your guitar playing journey or guitar teaching journey, you can still help someone else who's further back on their path get ahead with your knowledge and insights. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've learned so much from my students because they bring me everything from punk to bluegrass. And, you know, there have been a few times where I've said, you know, that's kind of above my pay grade. I can't teach you that technique or that song. But there are times when I thought, okay, I could probably learn this, you know, and I'll go up to YouTube and listen to the song or the the technique and figure out how to do it. Like I just did a YouTube video for um, I want to be sedated by the Ramones. I'm a singer songwriter. I'm a 65 year old singer songwriter, but there I am playing, you know, classic punk. And it was actually a lot of fun. Yeah. And something else worth noting is you might've tried some of their songs 10 years ago and being like, Oh wow, this is way too hard. And, but you come back and just having naturally progressed as a person, a player and have sort of uh, absorbed a bunch of things through osmosis you can kind of go back to it and find it significantly easier than last time you did just because you've accumulated more still as a player over time as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now, I do want to ask you in terms of the YouTube stuff, obviously, you've mentioned you do some research. There's certain things like getting straight to the point are really handy. How do you go about planning content? Do you have a specific routine? Do you just try and have an idea come to you? What's been sort of your strategy in, in planning for your channel and rolling out what you're working on? Uh, well, I get ideas for my lessons. Um, from my viewers, I tell them in, in a lot of my videos, you know, if there's something you want me to teach, put it in the comments below. And uh, sometimes it's songs I've never heard of, or I don't want to learn or, you know, way above my pay grade. But a lot of times it's like, okay, yeah, I can, I can teach that. And if I get enough requests for one song, it's like, okay, they want to learn this one. Uh, I'll put this one out there. It also helps to do a search. Sometimes I go to YouTube and I'll search learn campfire songs and that search will bring up a whole bunch of campfire songs and if there's a song that comes up over and over again i think okay that might be a good one to teach i also look at what other teachers are teaching you know because i specialize in beginners and intermediate players sometimes i can take what someone else is teaching and simplify it for my viewers and then give it to them or sometimes I can look at how someone else is teaching that song and I'll think, you know, I'm not sure I would do it that way. I'm going to try it this way. And, uh, and that works out well. Excellent. Yeah, I think asking your audience and tapping into what they want more of is really good. And giving that voice to the people that support you and obviously connect and resonate with you and, and want to find out more, asking them is obviously a really good strategy. Now, have you noticed anything in particular, like you've obviously got one video with uh, 2 million views. And I think I saw another one with over half a million and a couple couple others in the hundred thousands. Has there been any connecting factors or patterns that you've noticed in the videos that have done really well? Yeah. Most of the ones that have done really well are the ones that are fairly general. 
that hit a lot of things in just five minutes or six minutes, however long. Like the one I mentioned, you know, five strums you can use for almost any song. I mean, that's pretty broad. I'm not teaching one particular song. So, you know, whether you're learning I want to be sedated or blown in the wind, you might be able to benefit from that lesson. Some of the other ones that have gotten a lot of hits are... Um, like I'll do a search for songs that are one, four, five, and I'll choose ones that have, you know, certain chords and I'll do lessons, many lessons for all those songs in one video. And people like that. They like to be able to learn several different songs in one video, especially if they're just basic players, you know, they're not interested in anything fancy. They just want to know what the chords for, you know, leaving on a jet plane <laughs> and, oh, the same chords are, you know, blowing in the wind. Oh, the same chords are for, you know, and so that kind of thing. That seems to be the ones that get the most hits. But honestly, some of it is just if the algorithm gods are smiling on me that day, there's just so many factors in getting people, you know, that, that, that What's the word I'm looking for? There's just so many different ways that people come to your videos that it's really hard to tell. And you can go to like YouTube, for example, and search uh, how to get more views on my videos, you know, and there's all kinds of yahoos out there, you know, giving you advice that's some of it's stupid, frankly, <laughs> you know, like uh, one guy was like, it doesn't matter in the beginning, just keep putting up lots of videos. I'm like, no, it does matter. The content does matter. If people don't like you, they're going to tune out and they're going to go to some other teacher. So, but there have been uh, a few of those people that have given me um, some, some help. YouTube generally isn't much help, frankly. Um, you know, th they say that, you know, that they have this whole creator studio and a place where you can go. And, but I haven't found them to be too helpful. Maybe it is for other um, people on YouTube, but I haven't found that to be true. Yeah. Like I only recently uh, started YouTube after what, maybe eight years ago, nine years ago, I put up like five lessons and then I was told by another business coach, you know, you shouldn't do YouTube. It's going to distract you from your main business. So I didn't. And then uh, I spoke to Lauren Bateman, who many of our listeners are familiar with, who's got a fantastic channel. I think she's just crossed 200,000 subscribers or something similar, some big, amazing number. And um, she's just like, Michael, you've got to get on YouTube and take advantage of <laughs> the way the world is going. And I did. And, uh, this is just recently as, as probably November I started. And by December, I'd had a, my first thousand subscribers and got monetized. It all happened relatively quickly, which was great. And the algorithm gods uh, smiled on me. I think the third video that I did, like maybe in the first week, didn't do anything. And then about a week later, it, it went from like a thousand views to 30,000 views in the space of like nine or 10 days. And it was just everything took off. Uh, but in terms of getting to the YouTube channel, the main thing was just getting started. And then once all those insights opened up, I, I did find some of them were helpful sometimes. It said, hey, try this. And it showed me a bunch of things and I tried one or two on a video and they worked out great. And it said, oh, now try this. And then it, like, then obviously the momentum wore off or the algorithm changed slightly and I stopped getting views on that other video and it was sort of coming into Christmas. Just that was put the brakes on the train and everything slowed down. But I think YouTube's been an amazingly positive thing for the business uh, and for myself in, in terms of how grateful some people all around the world are and how how nice they are <laughs> and the fact that there's 
obviously so many really, really frustrated guitar players out there. And I think <laughs> this is my theory is that YouTube has made it really easy to access the information. There's never been a better time to learn guitar because literally anything you could think of, there's a YouTube video about it. You can get free access to everything you've ever wanted to learn on guitar. The problem is even if the person you're learning from is one of the world's best teachers, they can't look at your hand and tell you what you're doing wrong. They also, for example, you can look up a free tutorial to Jimi Hendrix's lessons, but if you've only been playing guitar for one or two weeks, then that's going to be a pretty big challenge to try and put upon yourself. And it's probably going to result in the student failing and then feeling really motivated, uh, demotivated about themselves and their ability. And, oh, you know, guitar's way too hard. I suck. Uh, I'm going to give up. When had they had a real teacher who went, oh, do you know your pentatonic scale? Maybe we should start here and get your fingers in shape before we sink our teeth into something as challenging as, as Jimi Hendrix. So I think there's another epidemic of frustrated self-taught guitar players who have learned a whole bunch of things to a really shallow level, who have never had feedback from an active teacher in person. So they've got so many bad habits and posture issues and hand positioning issues, which you tell them one little thing, they make a micro adjustment and it solves the problem they've been struggling with for a couple of months in five minutes. And they are just so grateful and so happy and give you so much kind feedback and you win them over as a, a fan for months to come, if not for life. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Nothing beats face-to-face um, -face lessons, you know, whether you're doing them online or in person, nothing beats that for sure. And to really benefit from YouTube lessons, you have to be pretty self-motivated and you have to be pretty self-aware. And as most guitar students, uh, most guitar teachers will tell you, and I'm sure you know too, you know, there's always that person who comes to you with their favorite artist and they want to learn that song when really they can't even change chords without stopping yet. So, you know, you got, got to sort of dial it back and they'll say, well, let's try this first. I mean, you know, that's part of what you do. Um, but also, you know, with the videos, it really helps if they're set up well. You know, like, like I mentioned earlier about getting to the point, but it also helps if you have a clear picture, if you have clear audio, and I'm not talking about expensive equipment. I mean, I have a bottom of the line Sony video camera for my YouTube videos and it works. I don't even have an exterior uh, microphone. I use the mic that came with the camera, <laughs> which most people will tell you not to do, but eh. So it, it helps to have that arranged too. And by the way, Lauren Bateman, who you mentioned earlier, doesn't even teach in person anymore. She only does YouTube. Yeah, 100%. She's still, I, I'm, I know she still runs a music school, but yes, she doesn't do her own teaching and, and is in a position that many of us would like to get into where we've got a school that runs itself or we've got a, a business that allows us to have a lot of free time and then we can put that into our other creative ventures. And I believe... Um, helping more people through YouTube where you can really leverage yourself and get so much more out of your time and who you can help is a really, really beneficial thing to do with your time. Yeah. And I just, I want to tell people too, that if they want to create a YouTube presence, if they don't feel like they've got one already, just Google it. Google is my friend. I have learned so much by doing that. Um, and I mentioned videos that don't really help you, but there are a lot of videos that do help you. There's a lot of creators out there who, you know, We'll give you some really great tips for getting started. Yeah, it's it's like guitar teachers. There's some great teachers out there. There's some average teachers out there. There's some really bad teachers out there. There's some great players who aren't good teachers. There's some good teachers who aren't great players. It's the same thing. Just just like you teach people how to play guitar, there are people who teach people how to YouTube. And you just got to, again, find the person that clicks and resonates with you. But with a little bit of research, you'll obviously uh, 
be able to get a more beneficial result out of it. But you know, if someone with five thousand subscribers, not even if someone with five hundred subscribers is telling you how to get a million subscribers, maybe they're not the best, most qualified <laughs> kind of person. But yeah, you just got to do some research and some due diligence. So on the topic of um, YouTube channels and things, some of our listeners have established YouTube channels. Some of our listeners are probably thinking about it. Uh, and I know tons and tons of people have gone into YouTube teaching as of recently. So if someone was listening to this one at home and they want to start YouTube for the first time or start seriously in earnest after you know, putting on the occasional video here, there and everywhere, what are some tips for guitar teachers looking to get into YouTube for the first time? What would you recommend they do? Um Get some decent equipment. I mean, you can do videos on your phone, but a video camera is going to be better, especially one with an exterior mic. Don't do what I did. <laughs> and, um, and, and put together um, some, a few videos. It doesn't have to be a lot, three or four. And, you know, get, you're going to need an editing program too. And don't let any of this scare you off. I mean, like I am not technically oriented at all. And I found a good video uh, editing program and I've learned how to operate it. And that makes my videos look a little more professional. So have, uh, you know, a few good videos ready to go. Send them to friends, you know, have your students look at them, you know, get some feedback, look at what other people are doing and see if that's what you want to do. And just know that when you start a YouTube channel, you know, you're, you're probably not starting with a thousand subscribers. So you need to upload some videos to get some interest in what you're doing. And then tell everybody, tell your, your mother, your dog, your students, your, you know, put the word out there on social media, do whatever you can to get people to come to your channel so that you can monetize it. Monetizing isn't the, the be all and end all because, you know, it's kind of a mystery how they pay us. You know, they have those ads and you get a penny or two per play. I mean, who knows? And if there's a copyright claim, then you have to share with the copyright claimant. And, you know, there's all kinds of things. But there's also other ways that you can make money from YouTube. It can bring you students. It's brought me students from all over the world, which is a good thing. And I always mention that I teach online. And so I've got a link that people can write to me. I have a, a mail order form. There's also a really great website called coffee, ko-fi.com. And they can send you a coffee, quote unquote, and it's only $3. And when you say, you know, buy me a coffee, people are like, oh yeah, I, I can send you three bucks, you know, and sometimes they send me more. Um, there's also Patreon and a lot of you probably know about Patreon already. It's a really great way to support people who do creative work and, uh, guitar teachers can take advantage of that too. And in all my videos, I always mention Patreon and I get, um, a monthly income from them. So, uh, start small and just know that it's not going to take off right away, but if you're patient and if you have good videos, you should be able to get enough, uh, people on there to monetize and to get all these other benefits. Yeah. Now, speaking of monetization, and you've dropped a few answers here, what's sort of been your plan or goal or way of making money on the back end or, or using YouTube to put yourself out there to the world and then to capitalize on the monetization on the back end of that there? Uh, not sure what you're asking me. You know, it, will it get me other work? Is that what you're asking me? So, it's more... Getting the YouTube channel out there is one part of the process. And I think if you look at a lot of the content creators like uh, Justin Guitar and potentially Marty Swartz, and there's a few guys now over a million and some up to three, maybe even four million now. A lot of these guys are kind of musicians who made a, a YouTube channel for guitar and their music and maybe some lessons, but they weren't really business people or the goal was never to make money. But now that they've got these huge audiences, 
they're kind of switching their brain on to go, you know what, I can actually capitalize this on, on, on this audience I've built and make a little bit more money than what I'm used to. And musicians, we're traditionally not business people. We keep away from money. We often have negative <laughs> associations with it because uh, we're poorly educated on the topic. Uh, and that's often a great disservice because we, we spend 10,000 hours getting good at our instrument. We spend another couple of thousand hours getting good at teaching. And then we don't properly compensate ourselves for it uh, financially, despite having the equivalent of, you know, learning a rocket science and brain surgery at the same time. <laughs> so uh, for the musicians who, who haven't yet monetized, or, or how important is the monetization factor and what are some things that our listeners can do to be more proactive in making money from their YouTube channel and anything else that can be connected or leveraged from it? Well, even if you haven't monetized with YouTube, like I mentioned, there's other websites that will help you earn money like Patreon and coffee.com. And it's also a way just to get the word out about your music in general. You know, if you have recordings or like I've written three books and I always put links to my books uh, with my videos too. It's kind of a separate thing because I don't really write instructional books. They're, you know, memoirs. And and one is uh, about women musicians. But I think that all brings people to me. And, and, you know, as a musician, I've learned to be very resourceful. You can't just do one thing and think that that one thing is going to get it for you. Uh, I've done everything from producing shows. I was a radio DJ. Um, I wrote for a licensing company for a while, a company that licensed um, music for TV and movies. I was their staff writer. It was a lot of fun. I, I kind of talked my way into that job. Um, I've written for music magazines and blogs. And, you know, I'm always on the lookout for ways to make money. Oh, and back to YouTube, I forgot too, you can get sponsorships. If you have a lot of uh, subscribers, you know, contact the manufacturer of your guitar and say, hey, I play one of your guitars in all my videos. Can you help me out here? And sometimes they'll give you money or they'll give you in-kind donations. Maybe you get your next guitar for free. Um, uh, I've had a couple of sponsorships so far, nothing really big, but it was nice to have that additional income. You can also do, um, I forget what they call it, where you uh, you get people to order things through Amazon and other platforms. Affiliate and links and things like that. Affiliate links. Thank you. I, the, the word slipped out. Um, I don't have affiliate links right now. I've, I certainly looked into it, but, you know, mostly it's like for mugs and t-shirts and I figure our landfills are already full of that kind of stuff. I don't need to sell more junk. I, I could look into selling like music accessories and, you know, cause I get asked all the time what strings I use, what capo I use. Um, and I've tried, you know, I play a, a really wonderful guild D 50 that I bought several years ago and I've tried to get guild to give me another guitar. And so far they're not going for it. <laughs> I'm just going to keep on trying, keep on hammering away. And, uh, how would one who wants a sponsorship, let's just say someone's got a couple of thousand subscribers or is it a point when they should consider it? How would they go about reaching out to a company about getting a sponsorship? Um, well, there are companies that will help you get sponsorships, but you know, I'm not in that. That's above my pay grade. You know, usually those are people with a million or two subscribers, but you can go out and find them yourself. I mean, I personally wrote to all of the companies whose products I use strings, guitar, picks, whatever. And I've gotten a few things, which is great. Also, sometimes they find you, you know, like I had a guy contact me about a, um, it was a combination flat pick, thumb pick. 
And uh, he said, you know, I'll pay you this much money if you'll uh, do a video that features my product. And so he sent me one of the pics. And, you know, I wouldn't have done it had I not liked his pics. And I did. So um, I did a couple of videos where I mentioned his pick and he gave me some money and that was great. So he found me. So he was actually sort of, you know, cruising YouTube and, and he probably found that video that's got over 2 million views. That's good. Excellent. And I think there's maybe a point at which you go, yeah, I've kind of made it or I'm on the right track when you get some of that gratification of having someone send something your way. So I'm sure that's an important milestone for lots of content creators. Yeah, it felt pretty good for someone to contact me and go, hey, you know, I want to be your advertiser. <laughs> Great. <laughs> now, there is a question that I have, and hopefully this is something you know, you'll never have to address, but you may have uh, some insight as someone who's probably pushed through some self-doubts. But there's lots of people who they try and they try and they try, but their channel just doesn't get anywhere. They're not getting any views. They're not uh, getting any engagement on their posts. The algorithm's just showing them no love whatsoever. At what point in time do you decide to go, yep, you know what, YouTube's just not for me. Uh, I'm going to move on from that. Uh, well, you're asking the wrong person because I'm still on YouTube. <laughs> I don't really know. I mean, I'm like a dog with a bone. You know, when I was touring full time, there were gigs that I really wanted and I just kept at them until I got the gig. And there are very few gigs that I did not get in the end. I mean, I didn't go for crazy things like, you know, opening for Tom Petty. Actually, I probably could have gotten that gig. Well, anyway, um, <laughs> just, I, you know, I don't go, you know, I don't call Carnegie Hall and go, Hey, book me. But, um, I think, you know, you just have to look at how much energy you're putting into something and, you know, I know I've mentioned this before, but getting feedback is so important. You know, maybe your lesson videos aren't great. Maybe they're missing the mark in some way. Yeah, really, really important. The definition of insanity, isn't it? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting <laughs> a different result. If you're not doing something to change or become better or to make something interesting that people are going to interact with, then you're just going to get that, that same result, which is uh, not not any results at all. So. And I appreciate the fact that you just don't give up. So I'll let you finish your point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because YouTube really has changed for me. You know, uh, a couple of years ago, I was making a lot more money from YouTube. And it got to be really frustrating because I kept putting out videos that I thought would get a lot of views. And they, they, they were doing okay, but they weren't doing as well as um, earlier ones had done. And I couldn't figure out what I'd done. I watched a million videos, how to get more views. And uh, finally, uh, I just sat down and I did the math and I figured out that, you know, how many hours I put into all the videos. And there was one week where I made maybe $10 an hour from YouTube. And I thought, why am I killing myself? I'm not going to do that. So what I did was I stopped posting as many videos. I mean, for a while, I was posting four or five lessons a week. And, you know, eventually the numbers would work in my favor, of course. But what about that week where I made $10 an hour? What the heck? You know, I, that's, that's rubbish. So that's when I decided, okay, I'm just going to post fewer videos. And I still get an income from YouTube. It's not as much, but I'm not ready to give up. And I have lawyer, loyal viewers. Uh, in fact, um, I've posted a couple of videos where I say, you know, hey, in case you're wondering why I'm not posting as many lesson videos, here's why. And Suddenly, people started donating money through coffee and through PayPal, and they're like, "Oh, we better give her some money." <laughs> and that's not why I did it, <laughs> you know. But hey, you know, sometimes begging works. <laughs> yeah, so sometimes you just have to ask for it. You know, ask and you shall receive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. And again, we musicians we hate asking for money, but at the end of the day, 
you need money to survive. And the more money you have, the more opportunities you can create for yourself. So never be afraid to ask. There is definitely such thing as asking too much and pushing boundaries and pushing your luck. But if you're providing value for people, and once again, what I've noticed is people literally pay me hundreds of dollars a month, if not thousands of dollars a year for the information that I teach them one-on-one in person. If I can make a, a video on YouTube with the same kind of content, that is worth value. And yes, you're putting it out on YouTube for free and you shouldn't necessarily feel entitled to compensation for it. But a lot of people are going to appreciate the quality of the information that you put out and the time that you put into things. And often they're going to be more than happy to reward you or to exchange some sort of value with you. It's just you need to ask them and give them that opportunity to pay you. So never be afraid to ask and always provide them the opportunity to transact with you. Yeah. And, and promote a lot, but don't be obnoxious about it. Like every one of my videos has links to where you can donate money to help me, but it's not prominent. It's not like I'm not every minute saying, send me money. Cause you know, that really turns people off. They like that, that YouTube is free and they still have to watch those dumb commercials, you know? So it's not like, you know, nothing happens, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you, you really have to promote, you really have to put yourself out there and you're right. Musicians are terrible at it. You know, we're like, we're just grateful to get gigs and we, we forget this is our job. Now, speaking of promotion, you've mentioned that you've authored three books. So do you just want to take a minute or two to talk us through the books that you've authored and, and let us know where the listeners can check them out and, and find out more about them? Well, um, they can check out all my work at jamieanderson.com. My first name was spelled J-A-M-I-E. Or you could just search Jamie Anderson Music and you'll find my website. There's another Jamie Anderson, but she's a snowboarder and I don't think she plays guitar. So, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> my books are, uh, my, my first book was a, a memoir and it's a collection of stories from the road, you know, the weird stuff that happens to musicians everywhere. Some of the famous people I've met, like Melissa Etheridge came to one of my gigs, stuff like that. Uh, my second book was called, uh, and, and that first book is called uh, Drive All Night. And then my second book was called An Army of Lovers. And it's about women's music, which is this amazing phenomenon that happened mostly in the U.S., but also uh, all over the world, Europe, Canada, Australia. And it was an industry started in the 70s by women. So women learned how to be concert producers and radio DJs and performers. They produced their own albums. It was this amazing thing. And it was really strong in the 70s and 80s. So I wrote a book about that. And then my latest book is called Drive All Day because I'm too old to drive all night and uh, sort of a sort of a play on my first memoir. And it's another memoir, but it also has a few more essays in it than my first memoir. So it's not just uh, stories from the road. I, I have a, <clears throat> I have a whole chapter where I rant about Spotify. <clears throat> I don't like them very much. Um, and I uh, talk about my students and some some of the gigs I've had. So, yeah, and I've got recordings. I have 13 albums, and you'll find all that at jamieanderson.com. That's a huge one. I think we need a whole other podcast episode just to discuss songwriting and albums. <laughs> well, you know, here's the deal. I'm old, so I've been at this a long time. And I think it's important to realize, especially if you're one of our younger listeners, is that you don't have to get to the finish line one year from now, 12 years now, from five years from now. The music is something that's going to be with you your whole life. And music teaching is a great way to supplement your music career or to create awesome opportunities for yourself. And that's where I'll shamelessly plug uh, our top music guitar programs where we try and help you become a better teacher through our courses and education and online community. There's, of course, my Guitar Ninjas program, whereas if you're a guitar teacher and you're looking to 
save tons of time on lesson preparation, just get a, a done for you curriculum that's ready to go that kids are going to love and it's going to, or kids and adults are going to love, but it's essentially going to boost your retention to a period of a couple of years, then check out our top music training programs. Check out my Guitar Ninja programs. Uh, you can find the links in the description. Uh, but Jamie, my last little question, if you could impart a final piece of wisdom on our guitar players, what would that be? I've been teaching a long time. And what I have learned is that students who come to me with a good attitude and who practice always learn, always. That's great. And if we can always have a good attitude and we're always open to learning, that's going to dramatically improve our career as a music teacher and as a musician and open up so many doors. So thank you so much for coming on our podcast today, Jamie. Lastly, where can our listeners connect with you one more time on social media and your website? Um, my website is jamieanderson.com. You can find me on Twitter at Jamie Music A E H because I'm Canadian. Um, where else? Uh, Facebook, Jamie Anderson Music. And um, just Google Jamie Anderson Music. I'm all over. Fantastic. So, Jamie, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Really looking forward to obviously watching some more YouTube videos. Guys, make sure you like and subscribe to her channel and check out some of the amazing things that she's doing. Jump on Spotify and listen to one of 13 albums. Are you on Spotify? No? <laughs> I am on Spotify, even though I'm mad at them. Yeah, yeah. I, I had over 220 unique views in one quarter and they paid me 10 cents. So I'm not too, I'm not too on about Spotify. But yeah, go to Spotify. Actually, Spotify helps if you want to discover new music. It's not totally useless, but it certainly doesn't benefit musicians, in my opinion, unless you're Lady Gaga. Oh, even then. Wow. Uh, we could have a whole other podcast on, on Spotify. There's, <laughs> there's definitely a little bit of unfairness, but I, I can, being a business owner, I can see it from the business perspective of they do need to make their own profits and this and that. But I, I think just the whole streaming is some of the worst thing that's ever happened to music because it's just completely devalued, regardless of who you think is the bad guy or whether it's the, the businesses that are the, the problem or the consumers of the problem. It's just one big pot where people don't value music the same way that they used to. And it's only going to get worse with this younger generation because no one under the age of 18 these days is, is going to even consider buying a CD or paying for music. It's just a completely different world, which means we as artists need to change our approach and adapt and figure out ways that we can monetize. And today's been a wonderful uh, discussion about YouTube and how you can use that to supplement your income and your living. And of course, if you guys need further help, reach out to Jamie, reach out to myself and we can hopefully help you improve whatever it is you're working on. So, Jamie, once again, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. To our listeners at home, thank you for tuning in. And we'll see you on the next exciting episode of our Top Music Guitar Teaching Podcast. Thank you, guys. Have a great week. If you enjoy this show and want to hear more of our work, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. For links and resources mentioned in this episode, including a free ebook on how to find more guitar students, visit us at www.topmusic.co slash guitar or check out the show notes. And lastly, thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.